What's up, everyone? Appreciate you tuning in. You are listening to or potentially watching for the first time ever the Heard It Here Sports Podcast. Decided to branch out a little bit, figure um, it might come in handy to do some video streaming at some point in the future. Uh, and I get to show off my nice little bookshelf this way. My Michael K. Gilchrist and my uh, my Al Horford bobbleheads from the Charlotte Bobcats and Hornets, respectively. I know that's what everyone's here to see. So thanks again for tuning in. Um, hopefully I can make content like this in the future if if people enjoy, or even if you don't, I'll probably keep doing it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but today um, I wanted to talk about something that has been stirring stirring around in my mind for a couple of weeks now, uh, this concept of some of the boomer bust guys that we see in this class. I, I think this is a class that, again, I think it's a very strong overall class. I think I've, I've been on the record saying this is, you know, definitely since I've been watching the draft closely since 2018, uh, this is the best draft that I've seen. Um, I don't think it 21 tops it. I don't think 2018 tops it. And those are both fantastic drafts, uh, to be fair. Um, but this is just this is just a really special one. Um, I think a large part of why I feel that way is because there are a lot of boomer bust guys, which means that there's a good chance that five years from now we'll look back and say, oh, wow, look at all these guys that didn't pan out. But, man, remember that guy in college? Or, man, remember that guy's high school mixtape? Uh, or we might be looking back in five years and say, yeah, this is the best draft class since 2003. I think both of those are reasonable outcomes. So that's super exciting in its own right. Also means that we need to spend a little bit of time analyzing not just these individual players, but um, in my opinion, I thought it made sense to step back and take a look at what does it mean to be a boom or bust type of guy? Um, What does it mean to, you know, swing on a player? I think that's a phrase we hear all the time. Uh, It's associated with this concept of, yeah, you are swinging for upside. You're trying to hit big on a player. Uh, Oftentimes, I think you'd say, you know, Giannis is maybe the perfect example of a boomer bust type of player. He or, or, Or maybe more specifically, a swing, right? He's an upside swing. 15th pick in the draft, maybe that's not the ultimate boomer bust because the bust is not necessarily as dramatic. Uh, whereas some of the guys in this draft, you get if you get taken third or fourth in the draft and um, you don't quite pan out. That's that's the, the bust is much more severe in that case, uh, the downside in this case. Uh, and uh, one of the ways I've been thinking about it is actually in terms of optimism versus pessimism. Uh, this is actually a, a thing that I've considered doing in the future is uh, trying to build out a big board or uh, yeah, a big board rather than a mock draft that is based on um, one that is an optimistic view of somewhat of the players, but more specifically an optimistic view of say, I am the GM of a team. How much do I believe in my coaching staff? How much do I believe in the institution that I have? How much do I believe that on my current roster, we can develop a player? Um, It is a context dependent board that simply splits that context into saying, okay, we have a group of extremists we have one that is optimists and one that is pessimists so your top few teams would be in that optimist range in terms of the greatest developing teams right the raptors would be up there you probably put the spurs up there you probably put maybe the grizzlies up there at this point the heat certainly uh, and then on the pessimistic side i don't necessarily want to name a bunch of teams but uh, teams that have not historically developed well and you know that bottom percentile that's sort of what i want to project for is the extreme um Again, because you have to account for these boomer bust players when you're creating a big board. At the end of the day, it's just going to end up being you know number thirteen. There's no context to that. Um, what I would be doing is only providing a delta, right? So, say Gigi Jackson, who is certainly going to be on this list, if if he's thirteen on my board, okay, is that he's the thirteenth best player in this draft class? What does that really mean, like? I would take him 13th overall, but like on which teams? Um, at the very least, what this would do is split and say, okay, on my optimism board, I'm probably taking him top seven. You know, maybe I'm taking him four, maybe I'm taking him five. Um, on my pessimism board, I'm probably taking him in the second round. A delta like that does not exist for a guy like Colby Jones, right? 
I think Colby Jones is probably, you know, somewhere in that 20 to 30 range. Um, whether or not you're looking at the optimistic or the pessimistic board, I, I, I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase this. So if, if you are on the pessimistic side, right, if you have no belief in your development staff, if you're at pick 20, it's not a horrible value proposition to take Colby Jones over Jet Howard. If you don't think you can develop Jet Howard, he's going to suck on defense and he's not going to provide enough value. I don't know, his shooting splits are insane. Jet Howard's another topic of conversation. I, I do kind of love that dude. But um, theoretically, there might be a circumstance where you could pitch saying, look, Colby Jones, our developmental staff, they don't need to do a whole lot for him to be a good NBA player or a solid rotational positive NBA player in a, you know, in a small niche role. Jet Howard, you cannot make that bet on. If, if you are not developing Jet Howard from his current place, which again, some of that's just on the player. Some of that's on how much they um, can learn stuff and how much they study the game and how much they, you know, the extra hours and whatnot. But, a lot of that is on the team to develop a guy um, and put him in the right circumstance and give him the opportunity to fit into certain roles. Um, it's yeah, it's one of those things. It's context dependent like anything is. Um, and ideally you'd make 30 different big boards for every single team. It's not really um, particularly feasible. I don't think if you were a team, obviously you're making a team, a, a board for your team, but, if I was to try to make a board for all 30 teams, I don't think there would be that much nuance. I think it would be a lot of just what are my own opinions. A lot of what makes the draft great is that it's 30 different decision makers who all have different valuations on these guys. Although most of the time I would say they're close to a line. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about some of the actual players that fit into this model of, uh, Big upside swings. Biggest swings is what I'm labeling this. Um, sounds a little catchier than big upside swings or whatever. Um, first pair of guys that I am going to cover. Um, I have, imagine you could figure out who it is when I am introducing them as a pair. Uh, but the the Thompson twins, uh, Amin and Osar Thompson, uh, playing in the Overtime Elite League this year. Um, freak athletes. Freak athletes. I, I, I think... Amin may uh, he he plays he plays point guard. He's a point guard. I was a little dubious of that uh, before I actually watched him. You know, when I was just sort of catching up on Twitter and listening to podcasts. Uh, now that I've watched him, now he, I mean, he's a point guard. Um, he's not always you know. I wish he could shoot. He's not always like an ideal point guard, but that is the position he will play. Um, he will be on the ball uh, to provide value. Um, but I think he showcases more dribble moves on the perimeter um, and also is more of a dribble drive guy, uh, whereas Asar is more of a get in a spot and take a shot. Um, I, don't, I just don't, yeah, I don't think his handle is quite there. And also, again, he's not a point guard. Um, so I think Asar's athleticism gets underrated uh, in comparison to Amin's due to that. Maybe Amin's a little bit twitchier in terms of, you know, uh, J. Kyle Mann actually on, on him and, Kevin O'Connor's most recent podcast compared Amin Thompson to John Morant, which I, I've been kind of thinking the same thing myself. It's like, yeah, the, he moves like a point guard. It's it's crazy because you see guys that are six seven who are incredibly fast or incredibly powerful or you know can run you know can run a straight line super fast, can be super agile. You know, you don't really see that level of agility and balance. You know, it's sort of the um, the, the ballerina thing, right? The wide receiver, like, you know what? Amon Thompson would run phenomenal routes. He would run phenomenal routes. He he has some of the quickest feet that I've ever seen. Um, and he's six foot seven. Like, irregardless of position, he has some of the best feet I've ever seen. So that's a that's a pretty big selling point already, I would say. Uh, and frankly, I don't see Osar as that much different of an athlete. I mean, don't get me wrong. Being twins does not mean you're the same person, but there is something to say for, they're not just twins. It's, this is not some weird genetic. They look the similar thing. That's, that's not really, that's not scientific, right? Um, there's, 
there's things that point to the fact that they have a much more similar development trajectory that even than even a lot of twins would have, I would think. Then you know even um, uh, so so I I guess not. What I'm saying it. I think there are a decent number of twins that'll. The twins that are at the same level, I guess that's what the difference is, right? Markeith Morris and Marcus Morris, both going to, I think it was Kansas together. That's like this type of situation, right? This is not Mason and Miles and Marshall Plumley, where they are brothers. Um, I think the twins thing, the twins thing is huge, especially to have two twins that are both elite level prospects like this. Uh, actually, it's really interesting that. I guess I don't know a ton of, you probably wouldn't know when NBA players have twins if they're not other NBA players, but it is kind of wild that there's, you know, Markeith and Marcus Morris, Brooklyn Robin Lopez, the Thompson twins will come in. I think there's like two or three other that I can't think of. And obviously there's sets of brothers, but um, it, it is very unique to have somebody that it's not just that you have, um, it's not just in games, right? This is like, since you were five years old shooting in the driveway or shooting like at the park, like you've been together, you've learned from each other, right? I think one way you can go with this is say they have always played together. They are more familiar with each other's tendencies than literally any two players could ever be. I just, just know they grew up doing this together. They've grown up doing this together forever and they've never not done it together. Um, the other way you could go with it is to say that they've been playing against each other, right? That, that level of competitiveness has sort of morphed them into the guys that they are, you know, uh, iron sharpens iron. Um, I think it's also clearly what you see, the, the clear result of it is that unlike Marquise and Marcus Morris, who just, they were kind of like this, you know. They got rebounds. They shot. They were just they're power forwards, right? They're traditional power forwards. Um, Amin and Asar Thompson are. They play more like guards. They always have. Uh, maybe wings, I would say. Uh, although, yeah, I, I would say Amin. Yeah, he's like a initiating primary initiator at the wing position, right? He's your point guard, but he's he's wing size. He will defend twos and threes ideally. If he's not guarding threes, that you're wasting his athleticism. Um, so I, I, I do think there's, there's – anyways, I, I, I do think there's some merit to the idea of not just that these guys have similar genetics, whatever, that's fine. That is a thing. But more importantly in terms of analyzing you know the differences in their game and how they're going to develop going forward is they did grow up playing this game together. They learned it together. They learned it alongside of each other and they learned how to complement each other. And um, that is very interesting. It's very interesting to see them commit to these two separate roles. You might say Asar, it's even more, um, I don't want to act like it's some huge character thing that he decided to be a shooter and not a, as much of a ball handler, but that is certainly something where you can say he's learned how to defer. Um, whatever, however valuable that is. I, I don't particularly know. Um, regardless though, one of the biggest things that I've struggled with, with the twins, because again, I've said a lot of great things about their athleticism. Uh, and you know, there's other parts of their games that I really like. I, I think they come across as like real professionals. They seem like, um, probably like high level workers, even at the NBA level. Um, again, they just, yeah, they seem like professionals. They seem like what they want to do is play basketball and get better at basketball. And that's, their focus in life. That's their goal in life, uh, which is pretty, pretty nice to have. If you're going to take somebody uh, with a top 10 or a top five pick. Um, the one, again, the one thing I've struggled with is that it's hard to really build a data centered case for the twins. As far as I can tell, there's not a ton of data on their first, the twins first season with OTE. I, I believe they played with OTE last year. Uh, and I actually saw some per 40 minute stats listed for Osar, but that doesn't really mean anything if you don't know how many minutes or games they played. Um, so I haven't been able to find that data. Obviously, there was the one year OT that just finished up. Uh, obviously, a pretty incredible ending with Amin 
passing to Asar, who hit the game-winning shot to win the finals in the OTE League, which is awesome, but against the OTE League, I don't necessarily think it's like a horrible... It's it's not... It's better than high school basketball in terms of the talent that you're playing against, but it certainly does mirror the AAU game in terms of the lack of... I don't want to just say it's the lack of defense or effort, but yes, there is certainly a less uh, guys are a lot less scared of getting pulled. Right. Um, I think there is, yeah, I think there's just much more of an AAU type attitude to some of the defensive breakdowns are not, they're not real. They're not real basketball. It's, it's just, um, it's something that, yeah, would get you pulled at the seventh grade level. It's, it's, it's just a little bit weird to watch because I guess I've just never watched any AAU basketball and I, I didn't go through that because I wasn't, you know, I played lacrosse uh, in high school. So I, you know, there wasn't lacrosse AAU tournaments where dudes were doing like behind the backs and stuff. The, that would have been sick, admittedly. Uh, I would have loved that actually, but as uh, someone that played attack. Um, but again, it's just a little bit hard like, from a data perspective because we don't, have context for that league the league's been around for i think three years maybe two or three years um we can't extrapolate out we don't have nba players that have come from ot that we can compare against you know dominic barlow's finally starting to get minutes from the from the spurs but we don't have a sample size there um and we also have not necessarily again the biggest thing would be either you need to see the teams in that year compete against other teams, either NCAA teams, G League teams, uh, teams in professional leagues overseas, perhaps, um, or you need to see the players that were in that league go on to play other competition that you can measure. Again, if they go on to play in the NBA, we can have, we can see how they translated and we get the context of the NBA. They go to play in the Spain main league the main league in spain or the main league in france we can measure all that stuff the ote league just hasn't been around long enough we just don't have context for what it means to be successful in this league that being said i did pull some shooting stats for amen and osar thompson what i did was i grabbed the shooting stats from their year in ote the one this previous year that actually has stats behind it and then there are three years of high school basketball that's recorded on max preps. Uh, those were the three years they played at Pinecrest High School in Florida, which uh, fun tidbit I found out while I was researching this. Apparently, the Twins played volleyball, varsity volleyball, as eighth graders at the school, uh, which is pretty cool. They were 6'1 in eighth grade. I'm sure they made pretty good volleyball players, I have to imagine. Um, but I thought that was I thought that was that, that, that's that seems like a sport that more basketball players should should play should grow up playing. Um, but I grabbed those three years, grabbed their post-grad year, you could almost call it, at OT. Um, and it was definitely interesting to look at the totals over the course of their career. There's also some stuff I could get into with the progression, uh, you know, from eighth grade to college year, but I'm trying to keep this a little bit shorter. Um, one of the things that jumps out right away is that Amin Thompson, over the four years that I have data for has attempted 156 threes. He's made 45 of them. That's 28.8% from three. Osar Thompson has attempted in that same four year span. As far as I can tell, they've both played 89 games, the same number. Um, he has taken, again, Amen took 156. Osar took 370 threes over the same span. He made 30% of them. He made virtually the same percentage, slightly slightly better. He made 111 out of 370. Um, that's a substantial sample size. In fact, I would even say that 156, while not not quite as substantial as the 300, that's still substantial to a degree. I'm sorry, my dog's starting to bark. All right. Uh, well, me and my dog fought off the imaginary ghost that uh, he was barking at, so... Uh, I'm going to try to jump back into the Thompson twin stats. Uh, yeah, massive differential on the shot attempts for Osar. Uh, it is interesting to see them both end up around the same percentage over the course of their career. Although, of course, um, in this in this final season, Osar 
the the postseason at least certainly looked good uh, in terms of a development cycle. Uh, I will say though that you know his percentages have gone. as a shooter. Uh, And again, that's on 71 attempts, 137 attempts, 101 attempts, and then 61 attempts. Um, So it's hard. Learning is not progression. Development is not, uh, sorry, development is not linear. Learning is not linear. We all like to see a incremental improvement uh, at each step. At the same time, though, that does feel like a lot of noise. Um, where maybe you're just a 30% three-point shooter. Again, 370 attempts is a lot of attempts. We are still counting some from when he was like 15 years old, but to be fair, when he was 15 years old is when he hit 32%, which is actually better than he hit um, last year. So that that's a little, I would say that's a little concerning. Um, again, when we're trying to find ways to convince ourselves that Osar is a, is a real shooter, um, the second thing that I'll note real quick, because uh, I keep going too long on this. I'm so sorry, y'all. For video folks, I'm going to learn how to cut this down. Um, 427 career free throw attempts for Amin Thompson. 369 for Asar. Asar is at 71%. He made 263. Amin's at 62.5%. He made 267. So that is a notable difference. Asar is a career 71% free throw shooter. I think generally people look at 70% as a cutoff of like, okay, if you can get over 70%, you're competent. I think people see 69.9% free throw percent shooter and they think you're a target. I think I think that's the um I think that's the cutoff. Especially, again, this is not me saying a five-game sample size. This is this is 400 free throws that um, 427 free throws he's attempted, and he's hit 62% of them. Um, let me check his progression. Yeah, right. He's not, he's not, he hit, I will say he did hit, he hit 71%, 59 as an eighth grader. And then his two high school years, he was at 60%. This last year, he was at 65%. I don't know if I'm going to say that's improvement, but maybe you could say it is. The one thing I am going to give him credit for and both the twins credit for, this is pretty astounding. Uh, Amin in his career, shoots 62% from two-point range. I mean, I, I get he's like a superb athlete and he's not playing at Duke, but that's still crazy for a perimeter-oriented guy, a guy who creates most of his own looks. And Osar is at 58%. He's no slouch himself. Pretty incredible, I have to say. Amin, according to the OTE website, unless I did something horribly wrong, which case I apologize, um, I think he scored 94 of his 142 two-point attempts this past season at OTE, which is 66% shooting from two-point range. I get that twos are easier than threes. I get that he gets to the rim a lot. But for a guy that supposedly has concerns with finishing it around the rim, I mean, if it was 66% around the rim on layups, you'd be like, sweet. Okay, that's good. That's what we, that's what we need. 66% from two. I mean, he's he's taken longer twos. He's taken I've seen him, I've seen the wild shots that he takes. I mean, some of the layups he takes are even um you could probably do that in the dunk contest and get a 30, right? I get a 50, but um anyways, I, I thought it was definitely noteworthy that Amin and Osar have these really high two-point percentages because most of the shooting indicators, not good. Not good. I'm not gonna lie. These are not the Asar ones especially, because he's the one that theoretically is developing, I guess. Okay, um, there's not really a trend that you can you can point to there, but the two-point shooting's <laughs> pretty dang good. And if nothing else, that's something you can certainly um, hang your hat on, you know? It's, it's two points is two points. Doesn't matter, you know? Just because it's not three doesn't mean it's not points. Let's move on. Next guy we're going to talk about, uh, this is actually a guy I have had the, I was going to say the pleasure, I'll say the opportunity to see. It has been a pleasure. It's been very fun. But um, Gigi Jackson, uh, I live in South Carolina, so about an hour and a half from Columbia. Uh, I was able to go down and see actually a couple of pretty big time games. I, I was able to watch South Carolina play against Arkansas uh, prior to Nick Smith's return, but still saw Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, Ricky Council, 
Um, it was a it was a great game. Gigi Jackson actually um, retweeted a tweet of mine where I was like, he didn't touch the ball in the last two possessions, which they weren't necessarily um, egregious. You know, the first play uh, was more of like a play. The second one was literally they had a second or two left on the clock and they just didn't pass it to him. They passed it to someone else. Um, but that was kind of fun for me <laughs> personally. Um, and then the second one I went to, which is difficult to talk about, um, was the Alabama game uh, right after the news story came out about Brandon Miller and the allegations against him, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, again, though, it was a phenomenal game. Brandon Miller scored, I think, 41 points, maybe it was 43, uh, and Gigi had a close to 30-point game in his own right. Um, sorry, didn't mean to get serious about that. It, that. That's something that's really tough to talk about. Um, but Gigi Jackson is the one I want to focus on because he is, I mean, he can shoot. He's got incredible touch. He's, I don't know if I want to say he's in conversation with one of the best shooters in the class because uh, I define that as something different. Uh, I don't really consider you a shooter if you don't make your shots. Um, but he's certainly one of the best shot creators in this class. Uh, one of the things that I sort of noted a week or two ago is I think he plays like he thinks he's the next Jason Tatum. I think that's what he, that's the sort of Kobe almost, the role that he emulates. Um, I think he sees himself as, yeah, a wing that is the primary creator of your offense. Um, he just might have the jump shooting to be the next Jason Tatum. He's got incredible touch. He'll do a couple of these moves where it's like, I'm sitting there watching him like, oh, he's about to do this move. He does that move. The defender guards him perfectly because we all knew he was going to do that. And then he just scores anyways because he's six foot nine and gets that fade away and gets to the top of his release. And like, you can't, you're not blocking it. Like it's up to him whether he makes it or not. And he makes it a lot more than, the vast majority of guys would, that's for dang sure. Um, but again, you know, everyone always mentions that he just turned 18 in December. That is huge to consider. Um, I certainly wouldn't want myself at 18 to be in the type of high leverage situations that he was in uh, or has been in, but it's still, I can't get past the inconsistency, the lack of role flexibility in his game. Again, I think, uh, I, I think he's sort of a poster child for this AAU game. Um, Romeo Langford is one, I think, that came out. And it's just like, he's a star. That's what he is. That's what he's always been. He got to college and he was still a star. And it like didn't really work well. But the NBA was still like, well, you're really talented. Like, Boston, here, we'll take you 14th overall. And then it just didn't really work. Because, again, he, he knew how to be a star and not anything else. And... You know, there's always extenuating circumstances, but he never learned how to not be a star and to fit in a role. Um, I don't know if Gigi's going to be able to do it either. I hope he can. Gigi's also six foot nine, which helps, uh, and a better shooter than Romeo. But Gigi's got his own issues, absolutely. Again, with consistency, motor, you know, understanding, uh, um, not understanding of the game, but processing speed in the game. Um, for me, He's the most difficult guy in this class to evaluate. I know I just talked forever about the Thompson twins and like, we can't even properly look at them statistically because the OTE league is um, just an an unknown at this moment from a, from a data point of view. Um, But I guess the thing with the Thompson twins is I got no problem. Like they're professionals, right? They're going to work. They're going to maximize their potential. They're R.J. Barrett, right? R.J. Barrett, I mean, he's had, obviously, not everything's gone well. And I think this season's been definitely a down season in terms of his work ethic. And, you know, people have talked about him maybe not being in the best shape. But he came in like he thought he was going to play in Utah. I think that's that's a, a real thing. But um, I think he's one of those guys that he just wants to play basketball. That's what he's here to do. Uh, he would be doing this if he made $15 an hour. Like, he's just a hooper. Um, I think the Thompson Twins are like that. They're just professionals that have been training to become professionals their whole lives. 
and are focused on not just the basketball part of it, I guess, right? It's the the PR training, the interview skills, the, I don't know, just trying to creating the brand for yourself. That's really what it is. You're cause you're creating the brand from an early age. I mean, I've known about Mikey Williams for like three years. He's a brand, you know, Bronny James is a brand. All these guys, Gigi Jackson's a brand at this point. Um, and there are things with his brand that I don't think people always like to see. Um, again, the Twitter stuff I mentioned earlier, it's, it's not the end of the world, but I think it's, it's just one indicator a lot uh, with many that we've seen so far this season that would point to just him not always being the most reliable in terms of just, yeah. Are we going to bet on this guy to be the best professional that he can be and maximize his output? Um, There's nothing wrong with Gigi. Gigi is just a normal prospect. It's just that the guys that are stars in the NBA aren't normal. They're psychos. They're superhumans. They're Kobe. They're Kobe. They're Kevin Durant. They're, I mean, you even hear guy. Here's Dylan Brooks. The stuff that he's saying, right? Zach Levine. Have you ever heard Zach Levine or Devin Booker talk? They think they're like. They think they're incredible. They don't think there's five players in in the NBA, the history of the NBA, that are better than them. I mean, that's the type of player you have to be. But it's not just a, you know, the mama mentality. You know what? The mama mentality is not just being confident in yourself. I think that's something that's kind of lost. The mama mentality is I am this confident in myself because I know that I've put in so much more work than everybody else. And not just in a vacuum, I have seen how much work you put in. And then I put in 30 extra minutes just because you put in that much work. That's the mama mentality. The mama mentality is I'm not just here to get my paycheck and play my best. I'm here to beat you. I'm here to win. It's not just for me to be my best. Basketball is not like that. This is not an individual sport where you're competing against yourself. You're competing against those other five dudes. And even if you work hard, even if you, I don't know, do your best. If you didn't work hard enough, if you didn't work harder than those other guys, if they outworked you, they're going to beat you. And that's what it means to be a professional. And that's and that's what I mean by the mom mentality. That's what I mean by, I think Gigi's going to work hard. I think Gigi tries his hardest. I think he's a good guy. I don't think he's like a Kobe Bryant type of psychopath that cares that much, not just about doing his best and being happy. You can be happy without being a star player in the NBA. It's... Um, it's it's a weird thing, but yeah, Gigi's just a normal guy. If Gigi, if Gigi, I don't know Gigi. If he ends up being this rapid learner who gets the NBA and finds the right coach, you know, if, if Lamont Paris really is just like a bag fit as a coach, um, I don't know if that's true, but maybe that's true. Maybe he just finds the right coach and the right system, and he finds the right couple of superstars to learn under. And he really does develop and improves on these weaknesses and inconsistencies and lapses in focus at a rapid rate. Like he could be he's the best player in this draft. Like he could be better than Scoo Henderson. He'd be better than Victor Whitmanyama. Like Gigi Jackson's incredible. He's incredible. Again, I think he could be as talented as a scorer as Jason Tatum. And if he really had, again, if you put if you put Kobe Bryant's brain in Gigi Jackson's body, he's gonna be the best player in this draft class, potentially. If you put Kobe Bryant's brain in Victor Romaniano's body, maybe you'd have an argument. But uh, regardless, the, the point stands that Gigi has as much potential as – I'm going to keep saying it, even though it doesn't sound right, as anyone in this class. Um, I'm having trouble convincing myself on that one, but we're going to go with it for now. <laughs> uh, but – that's the thing is he could be the best player in this class or like he could be out of leave in, in five years. He could be playing in France in five years or Germany, like, or, or, or probably more likely is in the G league or just like not playing basketball. That's more what I would see for him is like, he's just a guy that's grown up in Colombia his whole life. He still lives there and like gets the NBA and it sucks and he's not having fun. And 
the fans all hate him because they spent a draft pick on him and now he's not working out. He's like, F this, I want to go home. I don't need this. I mean, I guess I don't know, you know, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's an oversimplification, but part of the, part of the thing is if you are an NBA first round draft pick, like, yeah, you, you have your first contract, you're set for life. You take that contract, you use it right. You're fine. You don't need to work again. Like you don't need to work past your first contract. If you don't want to play basketball, like that's the thing that we forget sometimes is that once you've got $3 million in your bank, you're good. Not everybody has to be filthy rich. Nobody, not everybody has to be Steph Curry, Damon Lillard, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, billionaires, right? Some guys are happy just being financially stable, which is, I know it's funny to say in terms of basketball players, but maybe Gigi just chooses that he'd rather just be happy and financially stable. That's just something we always underestimate with these sort of circumstances. It's like, this game is hard. This game's really hard mentally, physically, all that sort of stuff. Um, but at the same time, again, I'm talking a lot about his personality and his work ethic and stuff. That's because I don't have another reason to say that he's not going to be great. Um, actually, that's not true. I have one other reason that it's right here, and maybe I should go ahead and get to it because I'm rambling again. Um, his stats, especially his jump shooting stats, they're not good. They're pretty bad. And I think everyone knows they're pretty bad, but like, I don't think you know how bad they are. Like they're bad. Um, the one thing I did want to bring up, his guarded catch and shoot jump shots. It, so so for Gigi, I decided instead of just looking at percentages and stuff, there's a um, synergy does an expected points per shot and then a points per shot, uh, two columns right beside each other, which I thought was really interesting, you know, because you can see expected value versus actual value right beside each other um, on his Guarded jump shots, which he had 45 of. He was plus 15 points per um, points over expected value. He was, so the expected value is 0.92, whatever that number doesn't really matter in a vacuum. He, on his guarded jump shots, again, which he took 45 of, was scoring on 1.07. Points or scoring 1.07 points per session. So he's, you know, over 50% if they were all two point shots, theoretically. That's pretty impressive, you know? 15 points per possession is a massive difference. You look at his dribble drive jumpers, though. And, and at first, his open, uh, non dribble jump shots, catch and shoot shots, um, pretty much even. You know, expect, expected values 1.09, his value was 1.08. The dip, though, comes in the dribble jumpers. He drives right. His expected value drops. Uh, he's he's 11.11 .11 points under expected value. He drives left. He's under 23 points per expected value. He only scores 0.56 points per shot. His true shooting percentage on dribble drive, uh, dribble pull-up shots to the left is under 30%. Um, not a huge sample, you know. Now that these are huge samples, but it's definitely very interesting to think that, you know, maybe he's just taken, it's pretty awesome if you can make guarded jump shots at a high rate. I think you could probably look at these stats and say his decision-making probably isn't always the best, especially with those dribble drive jump shots. I think that reflects what I've seen in reality. Um, but it's, it's, it is promising to see that at least on those guarded jump shots, he's hitting pretty efficiently. Um, again, cause that's what, that's, that's what it should be doing, right? If you're that tall and you can shoot over people, that should be your advantage. It should not be, cause the other thing is he's got a pretty nice handle. He's got a pretty good handle. Um, I think it's more of a, it's less of a, a functional drive to the basket, kick out sort of handle. I think it's more of a dribble to a spot and make a move, um, or get an ISO and move in. I don't think he can dribble through traffic very effectively. Um, but he's, I mean, his shot making at his size, again, those guarded shots, like he's unbelievable. Um, I think the dribble jump shots, he's probably just making really poor decisions. I think that's more what I think. I don't think that's an indication of shot touch or shot making ability. Um, but again, that's the whole conundrum. How much do you value his ability to make a shot versus his ability to take a shot that he can make? I mean, 
it's tough. I could go on for an hour about how much I just don't understand. I don't know what to do with Gigi Jackson. I mean, with with Ahmed and Asar, you need their skill level to sync up with their brains, right? Their brains are at the level of an NBA star. They just need the skills to come along. Gigi has the skills to be an NBA player right now. Like, he doesn't have skill deficiencies in his game, at least offensively. It's just it's just a brain thing. And as somebody that, again, wasn't an NBA player, doesn't know that sort of thing, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a data guy, man. And I also watch a lot of sports. And that's sort of my lens that I look through things. I don't know how to evaluate your brain, especially without I've even spoken to you before, you know? It's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, Gigi is the ultimate, he's, he's the ultimate, you know, rose covered in thorns that we just want to, we just want to see the beauty in it. But I don't know. I don't know how to contextual. I don't know how to evaluate them. All I can do is contextualize them. And (laughs) he's sure fun to watch. That's for sure. When he's on, he's on. So next thing I want to talk about is uh, Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. Cam is a guy that I've watched a good amount of uh, since he returned uh, from injury earlier in the season. He's a guy that I had heard a bunch of. Um, I kind of assumed based on the profile, like, oh, he's probably not a shooter. It sounded like he was a guy that uh, had this summer, I guess, the U18s where he was incredible as a shooter. But, you know, he's this six foot seven jumbo athlete. That's like, oh yeah, he can shoot too. I, I'm always pretty hesitant on those guys. Uh, I think he's, I think he's legit as a shooter. Um, he's quite raw. Um, I, I like to try to not necessarily compare him. Not saying that they're the same player. Comparisons are something that I think are very important, but are very tricky to. You have to just be in the right mindset to. You can't adjust your prior very much based on hearing a new, compar- new comparison. What you really need to do is compare and contrast the differences. Um, Anthony Edwards is a th- guy that I think is really interesting when you compare and contrast those differences. I think Cam obviously has like two inches of height on him. Um, they were both incredibly young for their class. I think that's a similarity. The pure power explosion, right? The like linebacker body, defensive end type of body, uh, track track and field type of athlete level that is all very uh anthony edwards reminiscent of anthony edwards when you watch cam whitmore um would say a couple of the differences are that he's more raw i don't think his handle is nearly at the level that ants was um his his year at georgia um his his instincts are definitely not at a super high level uh i would say he makes good reads at times he's inconsistent with it um, definitely feel like a few times on defense, he would gamble for things that weren't really, it was like a lot of risk or very low chance of reward. Um, you know, it's, it, I like a guy that takes risks, but they have to be calculated risks. They need to be worthwhile risks. And I think sometimes he takes some ones that are more just shots in the dark. I think he's just kind of guessing, um, which is okay. I mean, again, he's, he's really young uh, and he does a lot of stuff very well. I like his touch. Uh, I like one of the things um, I listen to some of these podcasts right now is probably Raphael Barlow's um, talking about Jalen Clark and how he has been able to buy in. And that is, that's something that's important, right? Uh, Sorry, sorry, not Jalen Clark, Amari Bailey, a different UCLA guard. Um, Cause he was, he was a big time five-star. I think he was like the ninth guy uh, by RSCI. Um, so not, you know, like a like a top 10 prospect type of guy, definitely getting mocked in first rounds coming into the year. Um, and he's just been more of a bench guy, you know, plays on the second unit. But um, it, it, I think it has been impressive. I haven't watched much UCLA. I'm on the East Coast. Um, but, yeah, you, you look at his stat lines, and he's been able to carve out a consistent rotation as opposed to, say, a guy like Kalal Ware that's just fallen out of the rotation. Um, it's always impressive when somebody can – buy into a role and fill it effectively, even if it's a lesser role than they expect or maybe think of themselves as. Um, You could say it's the Andrew Wiggins corollary, right? When he was, uh, when he got moved to Golden State and it's like, oh, he's like a glorified role player now. Awesome. Sometimes it's, 
if you can be a glorified role player as Andrew Wiggins or as Cam Whitmore, like that's you're providing a lot of value in that role. That's for sure. Uh, and sometimes you're just in a situation where, yeah, you, you're just better off being a little bit more complimentary. Um, one difference, and again, I, I, as a data guy, I definitely notice myself focusing more on like personality and like me trying to just like pick up stuff about people than I think is probably appropriate uh, given, or it's probably not wise for me to do so based on, I don't really, that's not my, that's not my strength. Um, but it, it is, it seems pretty obvious that Cam Whitmore is like, he's not the personality that Ant, Ant Edwards was. Like Ant was a fiery guy. He was almost closer to a point guard. Like um, he likes to talk. He like, he's in a, he's in a movie. He's like a main, he's one of the main characters in a movie at age 20. I don't think Cam Whitmore is going to be doing that. He's just a more calm personality. He's just, you know, he's more the Kawhi type of just, I'm just here. I'm hooping. Right. We're cool. We're good. Um, I actually compared him to Chris Middleton in terms of not necessarily the scoring role. Um, although, you know, maybe he could, he could take a look at what Chris Middleton does. Cause what I think Whitmore would be amazing as is that compliment to a mega uber superstar like Giannis or Jokic or Embiid. Um, I think I think he has a good chance of being like a dominant complimentary type of star. I, again, Chris Middleton, uh, Paul George is another guy that's profiled as like, again, he's your second banana, but it is it can be more of a 1A, 1B situation where sometimes the 1A couldn't necessarily be your 1B, right? In Oklahoma City, when it was Russell and Paul George, like Russ was the 1A in terms of how the offense ran, but I don't think anyone would argue that Russ was better than Paul George. Paul George finished third in MVP that year. Paul George was, he was the best player. It's just that he played the complimentary role in that offense. Um, I think Cam Whitmore's handle is always going to be a problem. I mean, it's like, closer to Taylor Hendricks than Amon Thompson or one of those guys, right? Like he's, um, I think he's a guard. He profiles as a guard, his shot diet, all that sort of stuff. He's a face-up guy. Um, but it's definitely a little tricky when you don't have the ability to create your own shot off the dribble as much. Um, I think he's going to be able to do it in spots. I think he's going to be a guy that I don't even think he's going to be able to dribble into his spots very much early on, but eventually will be more of the, yeah, dribble into a spot, do a couple moves, try to create, do something, you know, off of an advantage situation. She's going to be incredible in transition, I'm sure. But, um, again, offensive rebounds, loose balls. Like, he'll get some points early on. I'm not super worried about that. Uh, and I do think that's something that's going to earn him time early on. Again, part of the beauty of being a complimentary star or theoretically projecting out like that, you know, he doesn't have the greatest handle in the world, but that's okay. We'll we'll let Luca handle the ball, right? We'll let Jokic handle the ball. Um, you're gonna have to dribble at some point if you play in the NBA, but it's not like he it's not like he's incompetent, right? Uh, it's just it's it's a poor it's poor handle at this point. You don't want him doing it often, uh, but I think you know he'll be able to drive the basket and just straight like straight line drive on a closeout, uh, something like that. So I think he's a guy that actually comes in with a more ready-made game than you might think. Um, and he's definitely had some inconsistencies this year. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, I do think it's interesting, and I'll kind of get into his stats now. Cam's taken 44 catch-and-shoot threes this year. He's taken 63, 62 threes off the dribble this year. Pretty crazy. Um, he is 18 of 44 on his off-the-dribble catch-and-shoot Actually, one note, uh, which I totally didn't cut the video to make. I didn't, like, pause and restart stuff. It's a lot harder to get away with those editing quirks uh, over video, isn't it? Huh. Yeah, we have to get used to that. But uh, one thing that I think is actually pretty promising in terms of is not necessarily having the best handle in the world, but at least be able to create off the bounce a little bit. You know, maybe it's just uh, within a little five-foot square, but as long as you get the space in that square to get off his shot, you know, he's got good enough jump shooting ability that he can 
he doesn't need to always create space getting at the rim. He can create space getting away from the rim and getting open for a jump shot, which it's nice to be able to go multiple ways uh, and get space. Uh, Cam is taking 44 catch and shoot threes on the year. He's taking 63, sorry, 62 threes off the dribble. So he's taken substantially more off the dribble threes, which I thought was very interesting. Um, 18 of 44 on those catch and shoot threes is just 40%. But, um, you know, these, these are none of these shooting numbers for freshmen are going to be large sample sizes. You're just not going to get a huge three point shooting sample size in a freshman year. Even the free throws aren't, aren't great, but it's closer. That's why people say to use it as a proxy is just because you have more of a sample size. Um, but 18 of 44 on catch and shoot threes, 19 of, uh, 62 on those off the dribble threes. So more like 29% as opposed to 40%, but still, I mean, it's cool. He's taking that many. The fact that he could get 62, three point, uh, three pointers off the dribble, you know, on Villanova. So it's, it's not like he's doing this like Gigi Jackson in his role, uh, not to, not to keep throwing, not to keep throwing shade at him. But, um, again, he's Kim Whitmore, um, is not necessarily making a ton of these off the dribble shots, but he's taking a lot. Um, he's also 56% on layups, which you would definitely think should be better for a guy like him. Uh, he is 29 to 32 on made dunks though. So he's, he's made 29 dunks on the year. That's good. That's like what you want to see from an athlete like him. Um, the 56% on layups, I think is, is probably more of a sign of him taking layups that are off balance or just not, um, probably just needs to see if there are things that he can do to make things a little bit easier when he gets to the basket. And Hey, maybe, maybe if he's on a more, uh, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that every year there's three or four guys that every time you talk about it, you have to say that their team is not ideal and they don't have good spacing. He's one of those guys. Um, so maybe in a better spaced environment, he gets better, uh, cleaner looks at the rim. Um, I think that's fair. Cam's definitely one of the guys. I think I'm more likely to bet on him than, most of the guys on this list um cam's the one guy i would say none of these other guys have the potential of him to be like a top five pick or maybe more accurately on a redraft be a, a pretty consensus top five even top four top three type of guy uh cam's got the potential and and again i like his um i like his game i, I like the fact that he portrays as more of a complimentary star that can play some more minutes earlier on than I think people realize. And I think also is going to be able to scale up from shooting guard to power forward in terms of who he's guarding and the offensive role, because he's got a good enough shooting ability and shot, uh, shot touch. Um, that's enough about cam though. Go ahead and move on. Actually, we're going to move on to the, this podcast, uh, future Cooper popping in here. Uh, I, I ended up recording like a hundred minutes. Uh, so I decided to just break it into two parts. Uh, Appreciate y'all listening to part one. Make sure you go check out part two. I'll probably drop it, you know, a week after this drops. Um, thanks so much for you guys for checking it out. Whether you checked out the podcast, the video, um, either is awesome. I love talking hoops. Hopefully that comes through. Um, if y'all ever want to get in touch with me, if anyone wants to, you know, come on the show, talk just hoops in general. Um, you can find me, I believe it's heard it here hoops on Twitter. Um, that's probably how you found this in the first place. So yeah, really appreciate y'all tuning in and hope y'all have a wonderful day. Peace y'all.